You're listening to the AG Lockhart Podcast. We hope you enjoy this teaching by Pastor Matt Burton. Good morning. If you have your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 26. We'll be starting with our scripture there today. Just let me echo what Craig said. I hope you can plug in if you have time on Friday to join other believers praying and worshiping God and praying for our community. And also, I want to just extend the invitation one more time. Join us for lunch today. Get to know some people. If you're a visitor and you didn't know we were having lunch and you don't have any plans that you can't get out of, then um, if you have plans you can't get out of, go do that. But if you're able to stay, please be our guest and join us there. If you do give a donation, you're not limited to $8, said the preacher. The, the collection of that money goes to the ministry that our men do. They give Thanksgiving dinners. They give jackets uh, to children that need them. They do a whole lot of ministry. So they're not, um, they're not raising that for a um, lift kit on their truck. They're raising that. That sounds pretty good, though. They're raising that for ministry. All right. Let's stand as we read God's word together in honor of his word, and then we'll see what he might want to say to us today. Genesis chapter 26, verse 1, a severe famine now struck the land, and as had happened before in Abraham's time. So Isaac moved to Gerar, where Abimelech, king of the Philistines, lived. The Lord appeared to Isaac, and he said, do not go down to Egypt, but do as I tell you. Live here as a foreigner in this land, and I will be with you, and I will bless you. I will hereby confirm that I will give all these lands to you and to your descendants as I solemnly promised Abraham, your father. I will cause your descendants to become as numerous as the stars of the sky, and I will give them all these lands. And through your descendants, all of the nations of the earth will be blessed. I will do this because Abraham listened to me, and he obeyed all my requirements, and he obeyed all my commands, and he obeyed all my decrees, and he obeyed all my instructions. So... Isaac stayed in Gerar. Skipping to verse 12, when Isaac planted his crops in that same year, the year of the famine, he harvested a hundred times more grain than he planted, for the Lord blessed him. He became a very rich man and his wealth continued to grow. He acquired so many flocks of sheep and goats and herds of cattle that the servants of the Philistines became jealous of him. So the Philistines filled up all of Isaac's wells with dirt. These were the wells that had been dug by the servants of his father, Abraham. Finally, Abimelech ordered Isaac to leave the country. Go somewhere else, he said. You've become too powerful for us. So Isaac moved away to the Gerar Valley, where he set up their tents and settled down. Verse 18, our text for today. He reopened the wells his father had dug, which the Philistines had filled in after Abraham's death. Isaac also restored the names Abraham had given them. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's do a little background. What we just read. There's famine in the land. There's famine. In a church this size, a community this size, this many families, we have people in different seasons of life. Even though we're in February all together, we are in different seasons of our life. Some of us are in a famine in the land. Some of us are in the harvest of 100 times more than we planted. And there's room in this community, all generations, there's room for all of us in every season of our life. But there was a famine. There were directions from God. There were do's and don'ts. Don't go to Egypt, do as I tell you. There were instructions for where he should settle and live and plant himself. Live here 
And there were explanation a little bit about what that would look like. You're going to be a foreigner. These are not your people. There was a promise. I will be with you and I will bless you. A reminder of the promise. He already had that blessing over his life. And in verse 12, it says that in that year, the same year there was a famine, he harvested a hundred times more than he planted. And the reason is because the Lord blessed him. Have you ever been in that kind of season where there's so much life, it's almost just flowing over you? I mean, your hair is just almost wet with the, the spring of life. Have you ever been in that season where it's so good? You, I, I met a man one time, and he said, I'm not going to move. I said, why? He said, I'm so blessed. I don't want God to see me. Something's wrong. It's a wrong concept of God, but it's so much blessing, you're almost scared to breathe because we've heard of these things like Murphy's Law, and it can't, the good things don't last that long, and all these things that are other truths, but they're not God's truth. Have you ever been in that time? Have you ever been in that time, and then you somehow managed to find your way out of that time, and now you're in a season of famine or dryness? You're like, man, I am just in a bad place. I remember the good times or the great times or the blessed times, but right now I, I just can't. I mean, I remember them but I'm not in them. Or maybe you've only heard of those wonderful times. Maybe you've heard another uh, follower of God in Christ Jesus that says, oh, you can't understand what my God can do. And you, let me tell you about Jesus. And, And maybe you're like hearing that and you're like, well, I hear what you're saying, but I have no, I cannot relate to that. I've only heard about it. Well, there was a famine in the land, and there was uh, instructions and directions, and there were promises that hadn't come true yet, and that's where Isaac finds himself. But being in that place where you've known blessing and now you're not in it, it feels like, or where you've heard of it but you haven't seen it for yourself, that reminds me of a place. It's a place in Lockhart. It's called Carver High School. Carver High School. With permission from the Lockhart Post Register, I'm going to use their pictures and their article to tell you a little bit about it if you don't know about it. This is in Lockhart, Texas. Carver Vocational High School was once a thriving high school for the black community. It was built in 1923 through a partial funding from Rosenwald Foundation of Chicago. It was the only school and the only option for African Americans to get a high school education in Lockhart at that time. It had six classrooms, had teachers dedicated to ensure that students got the best education, even though their supplies weren't the best. It had an upstairs that had an auditorium. It had a beautiful hardwood floor that served as a community center. They hosted dances and proms and meetings. And it was also where they had the graduations for those students. Robert McLean graduated from there in 1964. He said this, Carver was more than a school to us. It was home. It was a home away from home. It was a place where you knew you could be safe. It's a place you could also go have friends and be entertained. For black students in the 1950s and 60s, Carver provided a space where the hatred they saw outside the four walls was left behind and they could get their education and build their friendships. Mr. Wright said this, I don't know if we could have survived the 50s without the teachers that we had. Carver built a lot of character into us during some very tough times. They took care of the school. With what they had, they did a lot. Shirley Williams, friend of my mom's, the mom of one of my friends, another pastor in Lockhart, Fritz. She was a class of 1959 from Carver High School. She said this, it was a great learning experience. The teachers really taught us. They did not play around. They made sure we were taught well. They took it very serious for us to have an education. 
Mr. Wright said most of the students and families there came from a religious Christian background. So it wasn't just a school, but it was another place for them to be taught to live their faith. Joe Rowland said it was one of the greatest times of his life. Y'all may know Joe, he's in the city council, a businessman here in Lockhart. He said it was one of the greatest times of my life. He was part of the graduating class, the last class that graduated from Carver High School. I'd like to show you a couple of pictures, but a little bit more information. After that last class and when schools were desegregated, then the school wasn't used, and then it began to be used by Lockhart ISD for the Head Start program until um, just a few years ago. I have that in my notes, but the date's escaping me. When the Head Start program left, said Homer Williams, who was the class of 1958, that's when the vandalism started becoming very heavy. They just tore up everything they could get their hands on. Sometimes I'd get calls at midnight. You need to come to the school because the vandalism is taking place. There's a historical marker in front of the building right now. This is a picture of Robert McLean, who I quoted, class of 64, graduation ceremony at the school. This is a picture of him and other members of the track team in 1964. When you look back at these pictures, you realize there was a lot of life in the school. When you hear the quote, you realize it was serving a great purpose. It was thriving in the community. It was a light in a dark time. It was something where blessing was happening, where good things were happening. It wasn't always easy, but great things were happening. It was like when the blessings were flowing. But then, as you heard Mr. Williams say, when the building wasn't being used, then the bad comes in. It's vacant. There's no purpose or the purpose that was there isn't there. And so these are some classrooms that you can see vandalized. These are more recent pictures. It'll tell you this is the upstairs auditorium. I've talked with people who went to this school and they say when they see these pictures, it's heartbreaking because they have memories of when it was alive and thriving, when it was serving a purpose and a great purpose to build community into our community, to build education into students, to give opportunities. So some people are trying to redig into the history, redig into the purpose and revitalize. And so you may go by there today and you'll see posters of people who were there, students and teachers. You'll see that even though the paint's coming off the wall on the outside, they're trying to beautify it. But man, it takes a lot to redo something that needs to be redone, to put fresh paint on something that's old and faded. And really paints the least of the problems. There's a lot that needs to be done. There are people in our community with help from outside our community who want to rebuild Carver into a place that may be a community center, maybe a little bit historical center, somewhere the community could use it. And when I talk to them, they say all ages, all races. They want it to be open to everyone because it meant so much and it had so much life in it. Why should it just sit there and fall down? When I look at that, these pictures, the back of Carver High School Auditorium, torn up. When I look at these pictures, they, they, they make a picture of my life in my mind. They make a picture of there's an opportunity for blessing and for things to thrive, but if we're not careful, there's an opportunity for things to become torn down, forgotten, abandoned. Well, we find Isaac in a little bit of that time. He is being blessed on one side, but they're covering up his wells on another side. 
And you cannot live where Isaac lived without wells. So it says in Genesis 26, 18, he reopened the wells. I say redig, redug, redug it. I don't know. If you spell redigging, your computer will tell you it's misspelled. But if you put a dash right there, it'll take it. So I think that's a word. Redigging wells. He opened the wells his father had dug, which the Philistines had filled in after Abraham's death. Not only did he redig them, he gave them the names that they had been given because when they dug a well in those times, they would name them and it meant something. It usually meant something about God's provision or God's character or how they had encountered the Lord in that place or how they were just thankful that there was water where they were digging. And so today, our title would be Redigging the Wells. On the surface of our story, there's a severe famine. On the surface of our story, that's serious. People die in famines, especially in those ages where there weren't the sharing of resources and there weren't uh, the technology that we have. If you didn't have water, if you didn't have food, then there would be great loss and great suffering. But under the surface, under the surface, there's a life source. There's a well. There's water, but it's just been covered up. On the surface, there's a lot of trouble, but under the surface, things might be as bad as they seem. Can I read this verse to you? 2 Corinthians. It says that the righteous, we walk by faith, not by sight. Another verse says, translation says, we live by believing, not by seeing. I'm seeing a famine. I need to go to Egypt, but God says stay here. So because I've seen how God blesses obedience in my father Abraham, Isaac might have said, I'm going to stay here. Even though I see trouble and I need to leave, God says stay here. So I'm going to walk by faith. Faith is believing, but it's believing in what God has said. We're not a people who just make something up and then try to have a lot of faith to believe that. Though the world may see us as those kind of people. We're people who hear what God says, see what he does, know him more, and then we put our faith in that even when we haven't seen it in the application of what's going on in our life right now. It's not a blind faith. It's a faith in God's word. If God says stay here in a famine, then I stay in a famine. If God says leave, then I leave. If God says settle down even though these aren't your people, then I settle down even though these aren't my people. It is a walking by faith. On the surface, there's a famine, but underneath... There's a life source. God is doing something even when it looks like nothing is happening. It reminds me of this verse, Psalm chapter 1. It says this, Oh, the joys of those who don't follow the advice of the wicked, who don't stand around with sinners, who don't join in with mockers. They delight in the law of the Lord. They meditate on it day and night. So there's a, two things being contrasted here. There's the mocker who doesn't believe in God, and worse than not believing, he's talking a mess about it. There's the sinner, the people disobeying God, and there's the people standing around with those people. And on the other side, they're the ones who meditate in the law of the Lord. They know God's word, and they meditate, they learn it, they study it, they obey it. Two different kinds of people. I don't care about God's word. All I care about is God's word. And it says about those people who care about God's word that they are like trees planted on a riverbank. They bear fruit in each season. Their leaves never wither. They prosper in all they do. It can be a famine on the surface, but if you're down deep into the life source, it's life all the time. 
That's what, to me, that psalm is saying. In Habakkuk, they said this in a time where there was desolation and misery. Habakkuk says this in God's word, 317, even though the fig trees have no blossoms, even though there's no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails, even though the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields, even though the cattle barns are empty. I'm like, hey, God, uh, Habakkuk, we got it, bro. I mean, he's naming everything, right? Today it'd be like, even though my cell phone won't charge, even though my internet's down, even though, no, it's a little more serious than that, isn't it? He says, even though everything's failing, verse 18, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. There's a source underneath that salvation, even when everything else is dying. He says, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me sure-footed as a deer. I can, deer, I can go up onto the heights. I can get above this mess. So these verses give us a picture. The mess is on the surface. Down below it is a life source. But also there's a God who can get us above the mess. So we just don't want to live on the surface. And today we're going to talk about digging deep, redigging the wells that have been there, but that have been covered up. A well is a life source. Jesus encountered a lady at the well. He was having a conversation with her. He was tired from his trip. He asked her for a drink. She was tired of her life. It had been a failure on many levels. And he asked us for, her for some water. And she goes, hey, we're, our races don't get along. You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. And I'm a woman and you're a man. There's all levels right here. We shouldn't be talking. But Jesus gets her into this conversation, and as she's drawing water, he says to her, anyone who drinks that water is going to be thirsty again. Have you ever gotten thirsty again? Have you ever just drank water one time and you're good from now on? Is there anybody in here like that? You're like a camel? Is there anybody like my daughters? You got 17,000 different kinds of water bottles and water jugs, and you, have, like, you don't have room in your kitchen for Come on, testify. I need some people on my... My girls are cool. And my girls are awesome. And their dad will sell you a water container. No, I'm joking. <laughs> you know what? Those water bottles, they're speaking to me right now. Matt, you need to fill up. You need to have containers that, okay, I'm going to write some notes down. Don't talk about your kids on the mic. It'll come back to you. Where was I? If you drink this water, you're going to be thirsty again. But then he looks at her and he goes, if you drink the water that I give, Jesus says, if you drink the water I give, you'll never be thirsty again. In fact, that water is going to become life inside of you, bubbling up to more life, more life, more life, more life. The water Jesus gives, we might call it living water. He said that to one woman alone in a conversation. He said it to the crowd in John 7. Anyone who's thirsty can come to me. Anyone who believes in me, that's what coming to Jesus means may come and drink because the scriptures say rivers of living water will flow out of their heart. So when we're talking about wells today, we're not just talking about having enough water to feed your cows or your kids or fill up the water bottles in my house. We're talking about living, life-giving water, source. Jesus said to know God, this is eternal life, and to know the one he sent. So we're using the metaphor of a well in the physical to speak of the supernatural and the spiritual. How do you dig and redig wells that have been covered up? 
Number one, get rid of the dirt and the rocks. These are different wells than what some of us have these days where they just put one pipe down there, 300 feet or whatever. These are wells that were not too deep. They were dug and they were dug. I always think of Jack and Jill. He went up the hill. He went to a well where he could sit there and fetch a pail of water. It was like the cartoon book. It was like the nursery rhyme book. It had bricks and rock. And he was putting a bucket down there so many feet and getting that. This is the kind of wells we're talking about. And the Philistines, out of their jealousy and because they're enemies of him, had come and put rocks and dirt into the well. So you need to get rid of the rocks and the dirt. Romans 1 28 through 32, I encourage you to read it. It talks about people who know God, but they don't want God. It talks about they're connected to the life source, but they don't care about being connected to the life source. It talks about them knowing God in their hearts, but refusing to thank him and to come to him. So God says, fine, if you don't want me, I'll let you have what you want. Have yourself. And in verse 28, it says, since they thought it was foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their own foolish thinking. And he let them do the things that should never be done. Verse 29 says, their lives became full of every kind of wickedness. To me, these are the rocks and the dirt going into the well. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, every kind of sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. Isaac's wells were full of rocks and dirt. If we're not careful, we may have to redig some things out of the well of our life. Because we don't have access to the water anymore. Our hearts are covered up. Our life source is covered up. It comes covered up with wickedness. It comes covered up with sin and greed and hate and envy and murder and all this kind of list. And then in verse 30, it says, because of that, they turn into backstabbers and God haters, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways to sin. They disobey their parents. They refuse to understand and they break their promises. They're heartless. They have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do such things deserve to die, but they do them anyway, and they encourage other people to do them. There's a problem if our well gets covered up. It doesn't just mean we don't drink. It means we turn into the exact opposite of what that well was going to give us. It was going to give us life, and we turn into death. And then what comes out of us is death instead of life. God made us for life, be fruitful and multiply, be my image bearers. And we can be those people connected to the source. But if rocks and dirt get in there, those rocks and dirt plug up the source. And then we become these other kind of people. Death comes out of us instead of life. And death lives in us instead of life. Oh, man, I need a shovel right now to start digging. I don't want to be this kind of person. We need to redig the wells. Jeremiah 3, 3 says this. This is what the Lord says to the people. Plow up the hard ground of your hearts. Don't waste your good seed among thorns. All right, so I'm stretching the metaphor a little bit. I'm getting out of the well and onto the plowing, but I'm thinking, how do you get dirt to move? You got to plow that up. In a well, it would look like get the shovel and get the dirt out and get the rocks out. But if it's just dirt, a farmer, an agriculture example that Jesus would use and the Bible would use is that if you're hard, if your heart is like a rock, if everything is covered up, then it doesn't matter what goes down from the top. Nothing is penetrating that. And Jack and Jill need to put the bucket down into the water. Matt needs to draw water from the source. I need space for, to get to the water. But if the ground is hard, if my heart is hard, it's got to be plowed up and tilled up. So I'm calling somebody with a tractor or something. I'm not doing all that. 
But in my life, I've got to do that. Spiritually speaking, I've got to get these things up out of the ground. Plow up your heart. We got a choice today. We're either getting rougher or more closed up, harder heart, or the Lord is taking our heart of stone and giving us a heart of flesh. Or we're plowing up. We're going one way or the other. It's either getting worse or it's getting better. It's either getting more access to the source or less access to the source. Jesus said it like this. I'm going to plant my word. I'm going to scatter my seed. But if it falls on hard ground, doesn't penetrate, the birds come and eat it and steal it. That's why some people can come into church or have an experience with you over coffee. They can feel the Lord's presence. They can be like, man, I need to make a change. And then the next day, worse than they were the day before because it didn't get down inside. Jesus said it's also like this. I spread my word and it goes down a little bit into the soil. It's not too hard, but it goes down into the soil, but it gets choked out by the thorns. There are rocks in my well. There are dirt in my well. There's thorns that can be in my well keeping me from the source. I need to get those out. I suggest asking for help. Jesus, help me bring your tractor and your shovel and your angels. But the Lord wants to co-labor with us. He's looking for a son and a daughter that's family. He's like, yeah, I'm going to bring my shovel and I'll bring one for you. Let's do this together. That's his, always his plan, together, together with his children, together with his people, in communion and in community with each other, all of us about the family business. We got to get the rocks and the dirt out of the well. I wonder if you got any rocks. Don't name them. Don't shout me down. I'm dealing with mine. I mean, I'm going to pray for you, but I wonder if you could just name a couple. Is there some bitterness? Is there some anger? Is there some frustration? Is there some hurt? Isaac didn't put dirt in his own well. Somebody else did it. But he can't sit on his stone couch in his stone bedroom watching his stone TV going, well, I didn't put that stuff in there. Maybe somebody else will come clean it out. If he wants to live, he's going to have to dig that up. You may not even be the one that put all the rocks in your well. But I'm going to tell you this. There's no joy in getting to blame it on somebody else. But there'll be joy if you can get that stuff out of there and get down to the source because he's living water. He's the fullness of joy. He's the God of all comfort and the God of all peace. We've got to get down there and get some of him. Do you have any rocks and dirt that need to come out? That would be number one. Number two would be get rid of the mud. My little brother used to make mud pies, go down to the corner and sell them for a quarter to the lady on the corner. Well, eggs cost a lot right now. So I'm thinking about picking up that business, but she doesn't live there anymore. So if you want mud pies for a quarter, call me. Mud is when the dirt went down in the water and you can't get the dirt. You can get the dry dirt out, but if the dirt mixes with the water, then it gets muddy. I'm looking at this as when we use, lose clarity. Second Corinthians 4.14 says this, Satan, the accuser, who's the God of this world, Little G, did you know that that's what the Bible calls Satan, the God of this world? He's blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They're unable to see. They're unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand the message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. They can't see God because they can't see Christ. The Bible says they've been blinded by the enemy, just like Jake, Isaac's well had a whole bunch of mud in it. So I'm imagining Isaac gets the rocks and the dirt out of there, and now there's muddy water. 
How do we get the mud out? Revelation 3, 17 and 18 say this. You say you're rich. You have everything you want. I don't need anything. And you don't even realize that you're wretched. You're miserable. You're poor and you're blind. And you're naked. So, Jesus speaking, I invite you to come to me and buy ointment for your eyes so that you can see. How do you get the mud out? How do you get clear water again? How do we see Jesus for who he is? We invite him into the story and we say, Lord, I'm not seeing this right. Will you be the ointment for my eyes? Not the way I see things, but the way you see things. Not me interpreting the word, but the word interpreting me. Not me telling God what to do, but God telling me how things are. Not me standing up, but me kneeling down and God being up. Not me getting higher, but God being on his throne. How do you see? How do you get the mud out? Invite Jesus and say, Lord, I want to see differently. I want to understand. Proverbs 20, 12 says this. Ears that hear, eyes that can see, the Lord makes those. Proverbs 20, 12. I love to pray that. Oh, Lord, I need eyes to see. Oh, I can see a lot. But my interpretation of what I'm seeing, it's all messed up because it's processing through my central processing unit. I need Jesus's process. Lord, how do you see this? What do you think about this? I need the mud out of it. I need clear water. You can be drinking out of a muddy well and contaminating your body. You're like, well, I'm connected to the water, but it's dirty water. That's not who Jesus really is. That's not who God really is. I finished my cough drop. Could y'all tell? I was trying to do it without my mom seeing. Don't get up there with something in your mouth. I used to chew gum, but she got me out of that. This is what preachers are not supposed to do. Say something that's not important and distract you. But I'm giving you a break. Take a breath. I'm also excusing my cough. I have what they call cedar fever. I know it because I can feel it. I smelled it coming on Wednesday, and I shut the door in the window, but it snuck in some crack, and it got me. We got to get the dirt out and the rocks out. We got to get the mud out. If we're going to redig our wells, we're going to have to repair the wall. When a well gets abandoned, when a, be, uh, when a well is not used, it starts to deteriorate, much like Carver High School, full of life in one decade torn down and vandalized and falling down in another decade, impacting families and communities and futures, taking difficulty and turning it into success, taking trouble and turning it into triumph in one decade. And in another decade, it's like, just come on in and tear it up. When we are going to redig a well, we're going to have to rebuild the walls. In these kind of wells, they would dig down and then they would put stone. And they would make room for the buckets and whatever they're going to draw out. But that stone would wall off so that the ground didn't encroach, so that the dirt didn't come in. We've got to rebuild the wall. We've got to protect the source. We can't have an attitude, oh, God's going to take care of it. Everything happens for a reason. Yeah, some of those are bad reasons and bad things that happen. If God means everything to us, 
Well, let's just talk about what you mean to God. He calls you the treasure of all treasures, the apple of his eye. It says that your name's engraved on his hands. He guards you and protects you and comes after you and seeks you till he finds you. He comes because the sick need a doctor and the worst of the devil need to be destroyed and we need salvation. And the only time we're ever out of his hand is if we get out of his hand. Nothing can snatch us out of his hand once our life belongs to God, except that we might say, well, I'm tired of being in this hand. God builds a wall. God protects. Those walls, they're called commandments. They're to keep us safe. They're to protect the life and the source. And we go, I don't like all these walls. Till we don't have them and the mud comes and the rocks come and the enemies come. We've got to build a wall. We've got to protect there's a harsh, true accusation from God to his people in Haggai 1.3. The word of the Lord came through the prophet, and God said this, Is this really a time for you yourselves to be living in paneled housing while my house remains in a ruin? The temple had been destroyed. They had been in exile. They had come back. They had come back to rebuild the temple, but all of a sudden they got distracted by rebuilding their own home. All of a sudden they started having a little success. All of a sudden you looked at their house and be like, man, that's nice stucco. Hey, is that limestone? You got a 37,000 inch LED? I'm coming to your house. Hey, is that an in-ground or above-ground pool? And they're looking at their houses they're just coming up and coming up and coming up. And then they look over here. God looks at his house and he's like, ruins. It's in ruins. We are good, human nature, of building the walls that we want for the things we want. And most of those the Bible would call temporary where moth and thief and rust can destroy. But put your treasure and build up the things that are in heaven or eternal because thief can't destroy and moth can't come in and ruin and rust can't tear it up. The Lord would say to us today, are you building your kingdom or my kingdom? Are you building your relationships, your, uh, what's that word? What's that word when people connect with each other, like for business and, what, network? Thank you. Networking. The visitors are like, mm, I don't know about this guy. I might not be back next week. Can't say networking. <laughs> it's only three rats. If they don't all run the same direction, the wheel don't spin. He might say this. You're networking for your business, and you're climbing the ladder for your success, and you're making sure you've got what you need, and there's nothing wrong with having what we need unless the Lord's house is laying dilapidated and in despair. The Lord might say, you can ask me for anything. I am called your provider. Who is going to build the house for me? And the Lord would tell us he doesn't dwell in temples, but in the hearts of men and women. Are we building our heart? Is there a wall around my heart? Am I guarding my thoughts? Am I guarding my mind? Am I guarding my eyes? Am I guarding my speech? Am I keeping the things out? Or do I just let the dirt cloud up the water and I just kind of put it through a Brita filter and I'm good? Jesus said this to the church in Revelation 3, wake up, strengthen what little remains. And in terms of the well, pick up the rocks that have fallen down and strengthen the walls. He said, even what you have left is almost dead. I find your actions are lacking the requirements of my God. So go back and do what you heard and do what you believed at first. How do you build the wall out? 
the truth of God, the word of God, the practices of God, prayer, meditation, praise, worship. If it was just rocks, we would get them and we would pick them up and we would build the walls. Like, I understand that. I can do it. But in the spirit, the rocks, to build the wall, it's prayer, Bible study, community, fellowship, the church, your, your, your life inside of this group, your life inside of your own house and your prayer closet. It's your thought process with God. It's your language with God. It's your relationship with God. It's, it's a metaphor for we've got to pick. If my conversations with God are broken, I need to pick that up and restore them because dirt's coming into the water. I'm not talking to God enough, and then something happens, and then I can't see who God is because it's all muddy. I'm like, man, God, I thought you were good, but a lot of bad stuff's happening. How can you be good if all this bad stuff's happening? But when you're right with God, when you're talking with God, you realize that God had nothing to do with sin. We brought all that mess into the well. We brought all of this. There were no thorns before we messed everything up. There was no sickness. There was no death. There was just relationship with God. Man, we can make a mess, can't we? You're just mad because your kids can't keep the house clean. We ain't kept nothing clean. But God, through Jesus Christ, is restoring all things. The end of the story will blow your mind no matter how good anybody can preach it. They can't preach it as good as it's going to be. He's going to make everything new. In the meantime, let's pick up some rocks and build the well. That's all right. Go ahead. Everything new. I don't know how he does it, but he does it. It's amazing. So we're going to have to get rid of the dirt and the rocks. We're going to have to get rid of the mud. We're going to have to repair the wall. And then finally, if we're going to have a well, we're going to have to live there. If you don't live by the well and have life with the well, Jesus said, I'm in you and you're in me. Remain in me. Jesus said, we're living life together. Let's keep living life together. I'm reminded of the story we shared last week. Hagar, she leaves her home to wander into the middle of nowhere. And the Lord finds her, it says, by a spring in Genesis chapter 16. Her encounter with God is amazing. She, the Lord finds her by a spring. So she's going somewhere, and on the way to somewhere, she stopped for some refreshing at a spring. Not a bad plan. She's not going to stay there. It's a spring. She's going somewhere, but they, she needs some water, so she picks up a little water at the spring. But while she's taking a break, a rest stop, a pit stop, on the way to somewhere, she takes a pit stop and stops right here, picks up some water at a spring to get refreshed. And the Lord interrupts it and says, where are you going? He starts talking to her. At the end of the conversation, she calls him Roy, the God who sees me. You're the God who sees me. You knew I was here. You knew where I came from. You knew where I was going. You're the God who sees me. And then she, she digs it into a well and says, this is the place where I saw the one who saw me. And in the first part of the, the story, it's a it's a place he was stopping on the way to somewhere else called a spring. But at the end of the story, it's a well where she's going to live. She's going to live in the place of knowing God sees her. It's not just going to be passing by. This is what's wrong with American Christianity sometimes. Can I just categorize all of American Christianity? Don't you love generalizations? Oh, let's just throw us all in there. This is what could be wrong with our faith sometimes. We're not living with God. We're just going somewhere. And every now and then we need God to help us out. Man, I'm tired. Could I have a little refreshing? Could church be good today? Could Matt not talk too long? Well, I'm asking for a lot now, so let's just go back to this. 
We're going somewhere else, but we're asking God, help me, a little more money, a little more this, a little more that. I'm on my way. Oh, yeah, I got a canteen full. Not, not intending to stay with God. This is a rest stop for people. I don't know why it's on this side. So we need to pray for you guys on this side. In the analogy, in my metaphor, in my movie, I'm getting my steps in today. I'm going somewhere else. I meet God by a spring. Oh, I feel so refreshed later, and I'm on my way. But in the later, in the refreshing, she sees God in a different way. The rocks are gone. The mud is gone. The Lord gives her an opportunity to build a wall there, and he says, I see you. And she goes, oh, my goodness, you see me, and I see you. And she makes a well, and she calls it the well of the place where I saw the one who sees me. And a spring is where you just get refreshed and keep going. A well is where you go, done, I'm staying here. I'm going to live here. I'm going to be connected here. We want our faith to work. We want our life to function. We've got to be in relationship with God. He's not a bag we put on to look better. He's not hair gel to make it stand out better. He's not just a beauty time at the salon to look a little better. He is the better. He's the source. He's the life. If we want our well redug, we've got to live there. If you don't live by the well, it just, the, the animals come and time comes and it just gets dilapidated. The water doesn't. The water's there. It's life source. God doesn't turn into an old man that doesn't know anything. God doesn't turn into a God that can't do anything. He's still there. He's still the source. But our access to him is falling down and getting broken. Man, how many cough drops did I eat? I was just feeling a little bit. Do, do I sound fussy? It's just my voice to men voice from, from the allergies. Hey, what up? I feel like I'm fussing, but really, I think what I'm doing, I'm fighting for my will. I have all these enemies keep putting stuff in there. And then some days, it's horrible. Some days, I'm chilling with my enemies, and I'm carrying my own rocks, throwing them in my own will. Ah, I had a good time. Oh, God, help us. Help me, Lord. Help me. Another distraction from the sermon. I most of the time am preaching to myself and God's just inviting you to encourage me because I need to hear what I'm saying. <laughs> There's a life source. His name is Jesus. He loves us with a love that never ends and never fails. You can never do anything so, so bad that he's like, yeah, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. No, the Romans broke his back or ripped it half to shreds. But he came up out of that new and he says, come with me. Jesus is the source. We've got to live there. I wonder today if you have any rocks you need to get rid of, any dirt. Is there any mud? You're just like, Lord, I'm just not seeing this straight. I just don't understand. Is there a wall that's broken down? You're building something else but not your relationship with God? This is where it gets a little heavy because God wants to do something about it. Now he don't want to fuss at us. He wants to fix us. He doesn't want to scold us. He wants to help us. He doesn't want to go like, huh, how long are you going to live without me? Hmm. He wants to go, come here, come here, come here, come here. Anybody thirsty? Come to me. Come to me. If we don't rebuild our well, if we don't have a well, if we don't redig our well, our life in God, then this is what we do. God explains it. Jeremiah 2.13, he says, my people have done two evil things. They abandoned me, the well of living water, Jeremiah 2.13. They've done two things. They've abandoned me, the well of living water, and they've built for themselves cisterns 
that can't hold water. They traded the well of God for their own well, and they don't even know the water's just leaking all out of it because it doesn't hold water. You know what a cistern is? It's something that's made to carry water. You know what a well is? It's something around the water, like the water's there. You know what a cistern is also called? A pit. We dig our own cisterns, we're digging a pit. Uh, God's way, my way. God's source, my source. Life, pit. And maybe that's where some of us are today. We feel like, man, this is the pits. <laughs> well, put that shovel down. Come move some rocks. Come move some mud. Come put up some stones and stay there and live there. And the Lord doesn't deal with us according to what we've done. He deals with us according to his great love for us. As I close and the team comes up, we're just going to sing through one song just to give ourselves an opportunity to respond. You may say to the Lord, Lord, this rock of anger, I'm giving it to you. And as soon as you say that, the devil's going to say, you've been angry all your life. Your dad was angry. Your grandpa was angry. You ain't going to give that to the Lord. Don't talk to him right now. Just say, Lord, I'm going to give you this anger or this bitterness or this hurt or this thing. Or maybe you want to give him some mud and say, Lord, cleanse my eyes. I want to see. Or maybe you want to confess, Lord, I've been building my life and I want to build your life in me. Or maybe you've been saying, Lord, I've just been coming and getting you when I need you, but I want to be with you always. This will be the time to respond to that. Some people will do it right there at the altar of your heart. Some people will come down. Like Jesus saying, come to me, and you'll come down to the front, and you'll just say, Lord, here I am. I'm coming. This is the time for that response. I want to will. But as we enter this time and right before we close, I want to encourage you. The Bible says where there's deserts, he'll make springs of new life. Where there was a famine in Isaac's life, he got a hundred times back in the same year that nobody could grow anything because God blessed him. And Isaac found wisdom. He said, if my father Abraham followed the Lord and he good, I'm going to follow the Lord. I'm not going to go to Egypt. I'm not going to go find somewhere else. I'm going to stay with God through the famine, through the storm, through whatever. I'm going to stay with God. He's going to make life come out of here. Stay with us if you would. Come to the altar and pray if you want. Give God your rocks, your dirt. Pick up the stones to make your well. Commit yourself to staying with the Lord. Father, we offer you this time that the Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts. We thank you for your invitation to come and drink living water. We come today, Lord. We come today. Thanks for listening to this week's message. For more information about All Generations Church, go to aglockhart.org.